How's everybody doing this morning? Yes, that's great. Um, If you would stand for the reading of God's word and then remain standing as we bring our praise to him. Psalm three. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord are my shield around about me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because of the Lord sustaining me. I will not be afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, O God. You strike all of my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be upon your people. Separate us 
God is reconciled, His pardoning voice I hear. He holds me for His child, I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh, with confidence I now draw nigh, and Father, Father, Father,
riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the loss. We stood in the bed, we could never Righteousness of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Welcome home, church family. Good morning, and happy Father's Day. You know what? I've, uh, I've got a question, a couple of questions I'd like to ask. Uh... But you know, one of the first things to public speaking is to know your audience. So my first question was going to be, is there anybody in here that this is your first Father's Day celebrating as a father? I don't know why you're laughing. Maybe you look around and be like, you know what, I don't think we have any new first-time fathers in this room right now. And that's okay too. This morning, I would like to solve... A riddle that only you can answer. Are you all okay with that? Wonderful. Uh, so so let's, let's have a little fun time. You all okay with fun time, right? It's Father's Day. So if you're a father, would you stand? There we go. Man, look at these guys. Y'all look good. Y'all look good. Now, here's what we're going to solve today. I want to know in the, in the number of people standing here, Who's been a father the longest? No, hold on. No, don't, don't voluntarily say. If you've been a father longer than 10 years, remain standing. If you've been a father longer than 10 years, remain standing. Okay, that didn't really eliminate anybody. I know your audience, Justin. I got it. If you've been a father longer than 20 years, remain standing. If you've been a father longer than 20 years, are we eliminated? If, you, if you've been a father longer than 30 years, remain standing. Well, I need to take bigger gaps here. If you've been a a father longer than 40 years, remain standing. Oh, now we're starting to weed them out. If you've been a father longer than 50 years, remain standing. Yes. All right. Do we dare? Do we dare? Should we keep going? All right. If you've been a father longer than 
60 years remain standing. Oh, did we just knock it? All right, all you 50-year people, stand back up again. Oh, no, we got one. We got one. And we got one here. All right, over. All right, been a father for at least, how about father for 65 years? Okay, you two hop back up. How many years? 60. How many years? Sixty-one, ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. Happy Father's Day. He's been a father the longest out of anybody in this room. Now, now when I was a little boy, when I did something right, even if I happenstanced on it, my father always did something for me. He gave me a Hershey bar. And today, I got a, Jackson, will you do me a favor? You're going you're gonna to get a Hershey bar today. And I, and, and I didn't wipe it down beforehand, so... Uh, so, uh, so just, you know, but anyway, happy Father's Day to the man who's been a father the longest in this room. Man, isn't it a great day? I love Father's Day. It's so much fun. Uh, it brings with it a lot of joy. It brings with it a lot of memories, some bittersweet, but it's still a wonderful day to celebrate fathers. By the way, I brought two in case we had a tie. So I'll break that tie after church this morning. It'll be good. It'll be good. We all have a concept of father. And that's the cool thing about Father's Day is you don't have to be a father for us to gather and worship the Lord today because we all have a concept of father. Men, women, we understand a father. Now that concept might be uh, we've had a poor example of a father growing up. Or maybe you think back to your father and you think of the, the richness of just the, the, the godliest, most father-like person you could possibly imagine. We all have a concept of father. And some in this room, as we just saw, there are many men in this room who are fathers. And, you know, fathers, you know, we kind of critique ourselves, don't we? We find categories and we try, to, we try to determine where that bar is, where that measure is that we critique ourselves in. Some of the things I wrote down, some of the ways we critique ourselves is we compare ourselves to other fathers. Hey, dads, raise your hand if you've ever done that. It's not, you've compared yourself to another father. Okay, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a natural thing that we look at other dads and be like, am I doing it as well as them? Some of us, we critique ourselves based on, man, am I, am I lining up with the Word of God as a father? And that's, that is the ultimate and the only standard by which we're, we're held is whether or not we're holding up to the line. And, you know, a lot of times I have fallen far short of that bar. We critique ourselves in another way. We, we, we compare ourselves to our fathers. You know, as I, as I look at raising my 11-year-old, my 7-year-old, I think oftentimes, man, what would my dad do in this situation? Uh, which is pretty much daily because I get in situations pretty much daily that I'm in over my head. Uh, by the way, 61 years as a father, I'm still waiting for your book to come out to how to get it right, okay? I'm, I'm your first customer. Got it. Wonderful. Uh, we critique ourselves and others. Sometimes we just compare ourselves to what we think we should be. Or we compare ourselves to what we think our, our children want us to be. We critique ourselves on a number of ways. So this morning, I want us to answer, I want us to evaluate ourselves, all of us, not just fathers. I want us to, to evaluate ourselves based on this standard, to understand who is the father I always wanted. The father I always wanted. Like I said, we all have a concept of the father and who a father should be and what he should be like. Many of the room who are fathers, we have our own set of criteria. But I want us to answer the question about the father I always 
wanted. Now, if we were to pull out a dry erase board and start writing down the qualities, the father you always wanted, we would probably be pulling from different sources, would we not? Most of you, if we were coming up with the list of the father I always wanted, many of you would already state the qualities that maybe your father had, right? Just out of curiosity, I just would love to hear somebody's little miniature testimony in three words or less. What is one of the qualities your father possessed that still resonates with you today? Just, just holler it out. Patience. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Correction. Hard work. He was always there. Wow. What, what excellent qualities to define a father. Absolutely. I heard, I heard something on a video yesterday that said, you know, when, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. When daddy's not happy, nobody cares until, there's, until we need some money. You know, I've heard that statement. But these wonderful qualities, when you talk about the father I always wanted, if we were to make a list, more than likely, we would first look at our fathers and think of the admirable qualities that they possess that they, we would make that list up with. Some of them, we might secretly be like, hey, put this quality up on that board. And it might be something that, that we believe we're really good at. And fathers, don't live in defeat. Know that by the grace of Jesus Christ, you are endowed to be the Father in your daily, as long as we're seeking after God and pursuing Him through His Word. He's making us into the Father we're meant to be. Understand that. So it's okay to say, hey, here's a quality that I try to demonstrate to my own kids. This should be a quality of the Father I always wanted. We have all these different things. We would, we would probably throw some qualities out there. And here's, here's where the, the rubber meets the road, where we might have a problem. Because I have a feeling that more than one of you out there today says, you know what, I had the perfect father. And I'm thankful that you did. But if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to say, there was one thing that drove me absolutely crazy about my father. And it might not be a good trait. And I'm thankful that many of you, when I said, you know, I, when I grew up, I had the perfect father. I'm thankful that people shook their heads. But the truth of the matter is, they weren't a perfect father because they were human and they had flaws. So if we were to describe the perfect father, the father I always wanted, we would even have to get outside the boundaries of the father that we had. This morning, I want us to understand and chase after the father I always wanted. Now, uh, as we look to God's word for an example of the father we always wanted, the easy answer is God. And that would probably, David set a record for the shortest sermon I ever preached if I said, well, the father I always wanted is God. Let's bow our heads and be dismissed. So I'm not going to let you off that easy today. We're going to delve a little bit further in. I was really pandering for a little more laughter, but it's totally fine. Take your time. Uh, think about it. We're not going to have a short sermon and just answer the question with the Father I always wanted is God. We're going to look at a specific biblical example of this. And I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As a matter of fact, this morning, the example we're going to look at of the Father I always wanted comes from a source that is not a father-son combination. As we look in God's Word, we're not looking at a specific example in God's Word where there is a father and a son biologically. We're looking at a different context of this father-son relationship. And we're looking in 2 Timothy, and there's, there's a couple of really unique things I want to point out to you as you turn to 2 Timothy so we understand a little bit better the context. 
Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. That's right, biblical scholars. You are biblical scholars. I'm thankful for it. He wrote this letter to Timothy. Let me tell you a little bit about Timothy. We know from the first chapter of 2 Timothy that Timothy uh, had a very godly mom and a very godly grandmother. In verse chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about, and Paul brags on the spiritual investment that his mother and his grandmother made in Timothy to grow him up in the ways of understanding who the Lord is and the goodness of God. But he doesn't mention his father. If we look over in the book of Acts, and, and y'all might have remembered that this past year as we studied the book of Acts together in our small group settings, um, there was a part in Acts when, when we see Paul first encountering Timothy. And, and Paul references, there, were, there was a reference, Dr. Luke references, um, that Timothy's father was a Greek. And if we take these two passages of Scripture that we have and we understand what we can glean from these two examples of Timothy's father is he was a Greek, which means strongly suggests that he might not have been a believer and that his spiritual growth developed from his mother and his grandmother. Maybe he was a believer, but he just didn't really pursue Jesus very well. So we can understand that as Paul is writing to Timothy, that there is kind of an absence, there's a void of a spiritual influence of a father there. And Paul became that to Timothy. Timothy was his understudy. Timothy was a guy that Paul invested in. He spent a lot of time in. And, and there are many times as you look at Paul's writings that he saw Timothy as kind of that son that he never had. And he treated him that way. I want to pause right here because it leads us to a very important question as we look at Paul and Timothy's relationship. And I ask not just the men in this room, but everybody in this room that professes Christ as Lord, I ask you this question. Who is your Timothy? Who is the person that you recognize as somebody who's growing in their relationship with Christ and you get to come beside them and pour into them and encourage them and equip them and disciple them? And if you have a Timothy, if a name popped in your head just a minute ago, when was the last time you encouraged them? When was the last time you were intentional to pursue a disciple-building relationship in that person's life? Who's your Timothy? And while we're talking about the idea of organic discipleship, if, if we have a Timothy, then we need to understand, let me ask you this second question, who's your Paul? Who's your person that invests in you, that has meant a lot to you as you've grown in your relationship with the Lord? Who's your Paul? Who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? In the seminary, actually my pastor, when I was in New Orleans, he always said we should always have a Paul in our life and we should always have a Timothy in our life. It's the chain of discipleship that continues on. So as we look at this example of Paul and Timothy, who's your Timothy and who's your Paul? And what are you doing to intentionally champion Jesus Christ in their life? The second thing I want to point out about this text that's very relevant, that's very important for us to understand, is this is the last writing of Paul before he's executed. Paul is writing this from prison. Paul, even when you study this, this book of 2 Timothy, this letter that he wrote, you understand that even Paul knows the end is coming soon. But what I want to point out about that is, is that as Paul is preparing the end of his earthly journey, he wrote a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. What that means is he didn't write 3 Corinthians. He didn't write 2 Ephesians. 
when he could have written another amazing letter to the churches, what did he do? He knew his time was short, and he wrote a letter to Timothy, his spiritual son, in order for Timothy to know and understand some very unique truths about how he's called to live out his faith in Christ Jesus. So as we look at 2 Timothy this morning, understand there are some very important factors that we can glean from this before we even read the first account of knowing the relationship that Paul has with Timothy. So let's read this together. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want us to look in five verses, beginning in verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. This is what Paul writes. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Paul continues to uh, exhort him. Paul continues to uh, challenge Timothy throughout the rest of that chapter and the rest of the end of that book. And I encourage you, if you don't have somewhere in the scripture where you're studying God's word right now, unpack 2 Timothy. It is a rich, rich book. But as Paul was the spiritual father to Timothy, this passage pulls out multiple examples of fatherhood that me and anybody else in this room need to understand that we can sit under and see from God's word who we're called to be as fathers. Now, I want to broaden that scope because I don't want the moms in this room or the ladies in this room or the men in this room who may not be fathers to be like, well, this sermon isn't for me. We've talked about this before. If it's coming from God's word, it's for all of us. We're going to apply it specifically in the area of how we can be better fathers. But at the same time, if you're sitting there and that category doesn't fit you, then I go back to the question I asked earlier about discipleship. Who's your Timothy and who's your Paul? Because if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're called to be spiritual role models, leaders, mentors, contributors to the generation of those who are coming behind us, as well as uh, those who sit at the feet who have gone before us. And by the way, your Paul doesn't have to be somebody older than you. It should be somebody that you look up to and desire and respect their walk with Jesus that you want to learn from. So let's dive into this. I want to pull out three things from this text so we can understand and get a better picture of the Father I always wanted. And the first thing is this. The father I always wanted is a father who's concerned about my spiritual growth. A father who's concerned about my spiritual growth. So when I was growing up, uh, my father passed away when I was 11 years old. So my memories of my father are very limited. But one of the things I do remember very clearly of my father that he that he taught me was that there were no shortcuts to success. There were no shortcuts, shortcuts, excuse me, to do something the right way. And trust me, growing up in the Mississippi heat, I was constantly looking for shortcuts to do things to get them accomplished. But my father taught me over and over again, there's no shortcuts to doing something the right way. More specifically, as a young man, I, I learned this in the work that we would do in our yard or at our house that there were no shortcuts to doing things the right way. 
understood more when, when he pointed to the example of education, that there were no shortcuts to doing it the right way, that the take the long road is going to get you there more serviceable than a shortcut. He demonstrated these things and, and how he loved my mom and how he loved his wife, that there were no shortcuts to doing it the right way. That the most common way to do it right is the long game. And he demonstrated that in, in how he loved my mom, how he loved his wife, how he loved us, his boys. And it's, that's how he taught me. Yes, the message was, was that he showed me there are no shortcuts to do something the right way, but it wasn't something he just repeatedly and told me over and over again. How did he teach me? He showed me. He showed me because when we went outside to finish the add-on to the, to the shed, it took a long time. He showed me that when he would be at his wit's end and be exhausted and tired, that he still could love my mom with excellence. He showed me by how he himself pursued education and to grow and to learn more so that I would have that example. He showed me. If you think about your father, the greatest lessons he ever taught you weren't the ones that came out of his mouth, but the ones that came out of his life. You are a father. You think about the lessons that you wanted to pass along to your children. It's not what came out of your mouth. It's what came out of your life. You wanted to demonstrate for them what you were trying to teach them. When we look at this relationship with Paul and Timothy and understanding that the father we always wanted is a father who's concerned about my spiritual growth, I want you to look that Paul was greatly concerned about Timothy's spiritual development in Christ. Look at this passage that he points us to here. Paul was giving evidence to Timothy, of his own personal growth in Christ Jesus. Not just telling him what to do, but was pointing him to what has been done. Look at verse 10. He says, you, however, know all about. You know all about. And what does Timothy know all about? He knows about Paul's teaching. He knows about Paul's way of life. He knows about Paul's purpose. He knows about Paul's faith. He knows about Paul's patience. Somebody said patience earlier. He knows all about Paul's love. He knows all about Paul's endurance. For the record of these things listed in verse 10, the only one that points to what Paul said is Paul's teaching. The rest of it points to what Paul demonstrated in living his life out loud in front of Timothy. If you look at the things that Paul is pointing him to, he's not pointing him to what I told you other than teaching, which was only one, and then there's what, six other things that he's pointing back to how Paul did it, not what Paul said. You can drop down in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those from whom you learned it. Again, pointing back to the fact of you've seen the example. It's been lived out in front of you. You know what it means to grow and develop your spiritual growth in Christ. Paul was concerned about Timothy's development in his relationship with Christ Jesus and he was pointing back to in this the last letter he wrote to him, knowing the end was near, he wanted to remind him of everything he had seen Paul do and be. And yes, he pointed back to what Paul taught him, but he wanted to point back to what he showed Timothy in this time. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says this, he wrote to that church, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Hey, dads, is the example we're living lining up with the words that are coming out of our mouth in the context of how we're developing our children to grow in their relationship with the Lord. I know in this room, there we have a lot of grandparents. 
And the same can be said for your grandchildren. Is what's coming out of your mouth and what's coming out of your life lining up for them to have a clear picture of the love Christ has for them as demonstrated and afforded to us by God's Word? Paul was looking at Timothy and he was saying, Hey, Timothy, you've seen how I live my life? You've seen how I, how I demonstrate love. You see how I practice patience. You see how I practice endurance. I want you to take what you've seen and I want you to go and live that. Something that flies in the face of me as a father is if I were to look at my children and have to put myself in Paul's shoes, about to say goodbye to them, and could I look at my son, could I look at my daughter and say, hey, I want you to take everything you've seen come out of my life over the last several years, and I want you to go and live it out. That terrifies me, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Because I've let them down in a lot of ways as their father. And the goal of my life is for my words and my actions in Christ to line up. You know, that's what God does. He looks at us. And he says, hey, I want you to take everything I've taught you, the word of God, and I want you to apply it. And if you do, go live it out and see what it looks like. God has given us the same marching orders as Paul is giving Timothy here. Hey, everything you've seen from me, everything you know about me, go live it out. And dads, that's kind of the ultimate challenge for us in Christ Jesus, for to look at our kids, for look at our children and to say, hey, everything you've seen demonstrated in me, go live it out. Dads, you know they're watching. Grandpa, they are watching. And what they see in you, over what they hear from you, is what they're going to go and live out. So be a father who's concerned about your children and grandchildren's spiritual growth. Second thing I want us to see about the father I always wanted is a father who sacrifices. A father who sacrifices. Look, I know very, very much a shadow compared to what the men in this room know. But we do know that fatherhood, fatherhood's hard, isn't it? Fatherhood's not easy. Or is it just me? Men, is fatherhood easy? There's hard decisions you have to make. There's a hard word you have to share. Being a father is not just a walk in the park. And the the rub is where You don't get to live out what you want as a father. You are mandated with the task of living out what your children, what your family needs from you. Not what you want to do, but what they need from you. That's the hard part of being a father. Your children need you. And a lot of times their needs isn't based on your wants. And they need from you love. They need from you leadership. They need from you support. They need from you guidance. They need from you encouragement. They don't need a best friend. They need a father. They can go pick and choose their best friends all day long. They need a father. And God has tasked us with this divine privilege of fatherhood. And this concept of sacrifice is a reflection of a good father. If we were making a list of the father I always wanted, I'm pretty sure a father who sacrifices would be pretty high up. And Paul is pointing to Timothy of the sacrifice that is demanded of such a thing. Good fathers constantly sacrifice for their families. They sacrifice for their spouses. They sacrifice for their children. 
Paul was pointing Timothy to the cost of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Was Paul tooting his own horn? Absolutely not. What he was trying to show Timothy was the glory that God receives when we live the sacrifice of pursuing a godly life. Look at this in verse 11. Persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. He's trying to tell Timothy, hey, guess what, Timothy? Following Christ, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But again, he's pointing back to the example that he's already lived out. It's not impossible. Hard does not mean impossible. Hard means it's worth it when you get to the end. And he's pointing out to this idea that, hey, following Christ isn't just going to be a bunch of chocolate and rainbows. There's going to be cost. For him, it was persecutions. He talked about the things that happened to him in Iconium and Antioch and Lystra. And we saw that in Acts of how Paul was beaten, how Paul was run out, Paul was hunted. There were times where people had to hide Paul because they were afraid of the mobs and the masses and what they were going to do to him. Paul lived a life of suffering. And I would imagine, if Paul were honest, that he wouldn't have chosen suffering. But it's what was needed for the sake of Christ. It was needed for the people who would come behind Paul, like Timothy, to see what it would cost to do it right. Because there are no shortcuts to doing the right thing and getting it done. The price of suffering had a payoff, though. And Paul was pointing him to that, yes, there's going to be sacrifice. Yes, there's going to be a cost. Yes, there's going to be persecutions and sufferings. But look in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Yeah, Timothy, you're going to be persecuted. Yeah, Timothy, there's going to be sufferings. But let me tell you something. As a man who lived by example, the godly life you're called to live is worth anything this world can dish out. The sacrifice is worth it. And Paul is evidence of that. Again, he's writing this letter from prison. And Paul even expresses in this letter, man, I would love to just be hanging out with you right now. And as a matter of fact, I would love for you to come see me. And if you do, bring me a coat because it's cold up in this prison. He talks about that, by the way. I'm not just making this up. He's pointing him to the fact that there is worth to the sacrifice that is made. My roommate in seminary, he used to walk around and always said this quote. I'm sure he didn't make it up. I love him to death, but he's not this smart. He always always quoted, he says, "If if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. He probably got it, I don't know, out of Cracker Jack box or something, but it just stuck with him, and it stuck with me because he always said it. If the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. Dads. Your children. That's great enough. Dads who reflect Christ, the cause, our children, and for their sake to grow, to be lovers of the Lord. There's no cost that outweighs the beauty of that taking place. The sacrifice is worth it. Paul was demonstrating this in Timothy's life. And yeah, guess what? Their needs don't always line up with your wants. And it's time to sacrifice so that we can meet a need so they see the picture of Jesus lived out in us. Isn't this what God did for us? Isn't this example, isn't this the heart of the gospel? 
where we see God recognizing his creation and the need that we had for salvation, the need that we had to be reunited, the need we, that we had to once again be in fellowship with God the Father, but it was going to cost him a great deal. What was the cost? It cost him his son that would be a ransom for the sins of the world. Even Jesus, in the night before he was to be crucified, he said, God, if there's any other way this can happen, let's do it. But I submit to your will, not my will be done. And God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we, his children, were sinners and living in open rebellion and far from him, Christ died for us to meet the need that we had to once again look at God and call him what we sang, Abba. Father. The third thing I want us to see about the father I always wanted is a father who who cares greatly about his children's spiritual growth, a father uh, who sacrifices for his children. The third thing I want us to see is this, is a father who encourages. A father who encourages. Most of us can easily remember a time when our fathers encouraged us. Takes a form, takes a lot of forms when our fathers encourage us. A lot of this is what they say to us. When your father looks at you and says, I believe in you. Hey, son, you can do it. Maybe the greatest thing that a father can say to a child, son or daughter, is, Hey, I'm proud of you. Oh, man. Y'all remember those times? When your father would look at you and and encourage you, and maybe you didn't have this growing up, and I'm sorry, but a loving Heavenly Father gives us this every single day, that a father looks at us and says, hey, I believe in you. You're good enough. You can do it. I'm proud of you. Look at what Paul says here. Look at what he says here in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue. You know what Paul was saying? Hey, Timothy, keep it up. Hey, Timothy, you're doing it right. Hey, Timothy, don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because you're doing it the right way. Continue in what you have learned. And then he says something else. And this, this next phrase really gives you the depth of the meaning of this verse. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. You know, when I was in school, they taught us about evolution and how there is no creator, that the, the earth was formed by a big bang, which is still a theory, by the way, because I still can't prove it, but they preach it like it's gospel. And that everything in life just kind of happened billions of years ago and blah, 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 blah. Guess what? I learned that in school. But I'm still not convinced of it. You know what I am convinced of? Father God being an all-creator that loves me and loves you. That's what I'm convinced of. Paul wasn't just pointing to his head knowledge. He wasn't just saying that as for you, continue in what you have learned and blah, blah, blah. No, he said, continue in what you have learned and you have become convinced of. Church, we build our lives around the things that we are convinced of. 
My good friend, Alan Brown, is sitting on the front row wearing a Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl Champions t-shirt. Listen at him. He's crazy. You know what I'm convinced of? The truth. Green Bay Packers, the best NFL team ever. That's what I'm convinced of. Thank you. I heard that up top. This is just silliness, I know. But what we're convinced of, we're not ashamed of. What we're convinced of, we live out loud. When we're convinced of something, we build our whole lives around it. And that's the testimony of our lives. Paul was pointing to him. He said, hey, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. Because he knows this is what Timothy will build his life around. And then look how he finishes it. Because you know those from whom you learned it. Hmm. He says, Timothy, trust the source. You remember your mom and your grandma that loved you so well and taught you the scriptures and showed you who God was? Continue because you remember those amazing ladies that poured God into you. Trust the source. Hey, Timothy, I'm sitting here in chains. I'm sitting here in prison. And yeah, it's probably not my number one place I'd like to be right now. But if this is where God would have me for his glory, then this is where I want to be. Trust the source. Dads, can your children trust the source by looking at you? Granddad, do your children trust the source because of what they've seen and heard from you? Are you a source that wholeheartedly believes in the truth of God's Word? And are you a source that turns around and takes the truth of God's Word and pours it into your children and your grandchildren? And, and hey, 61 years old and has a son, has a child that age. It doesn't matter if your child is into their 60s or in their single digits. You have a voice. You are the source that they're looking to for life and leadership. Are you showing? Are you reflecting? Are you pouring into them the truth of God's Word? So that when life gets hard for them, they trust the source from which they learned it. Are we standing on God's Word? We talked about being a dad. We're talking about being a father who encourages. Guess what? We've all been there. When we fail, we look back at the encouragement. Man, my dad said I was good enough and here I am. I failed again. I guess he was wrong. If our encouragement is just coming from an overwhelming, generous, kind heart then on the day of trial, that the ones who we're encouraging, the ones we're investing into, they're going to turn away from it. But if we're encouraging them with the eternal Word of God that never changes or falters or fails, then that is what our children, our grandchildren, that's what they deserve. Is that as we pour into them, that it's not just something of, of us, it's something of God. You know, I know that on that list of the Father I always wanted... A father who encourages would be up there. You know how I know that? Because every day I can turn open to this word. And there's a father reminding me. And pouring his life into me. And giving me his life. That I may be encouraged to keep going. You know there's no such thing as the perfect father. On this earth. There's not because... Every father that's ever been and ever will be is flawed. Paul, too, was flawed. Even Paul made mistakes. And as close as Paul and Timothy were, I'm pretty sure Timothy knew it. But it didn't stop Paul from wanting to show Timothy the truth of God's love 
for him. That the greatest thing Timothy could take from this world is to love and be loved by a holy, heavenly Father. In Christ, in God, we have the perfect example our children need. In our heavenly Father, we have a Father who cares about our spiritual development. We have a Father who sacrifices for us. We have a Father who encourages us all in the perfect heavenly Father we have. Dads, it's Father's Day. And on this Father's Day, show them the Father. You're going to get cards and you're going to have a big meal and all this, whatever you celebrate. But dads, use this day to show them the Father. And at the end of the day, may God lead you and love you to be the Father He created you to be. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word, for the truth of your love for us. God, I pray for the men in this room who are fathers. I pray, I pray God, that they recognize the natural platform you gave them in fatherhood to instruct and to love and to show the truth of Jesus to their children and to their grandchildren and to their families. God, I pray that you equip the fathers in this room. And I'm not talking about just the biological fathers, but the men in this room, you would equip and remind them of the privilege they have of investing in young men, men behind them, men even older than them, to show them the truth of your love for them, God. Father, I pray that today, as we do celebrate fathers, that the men in this room are honored But God, I pray that they would deflect to the truth of the greatest Father we have ever known. And that is you, God. Thank you, God, for the examples that many people in this room have. Because of the love of Christ, they learned from their fathers. God, I ask that you be with the people in this room today. And maybe this is their first Father's Day without their father. God, maybe this is a Father's Day without their children. And I pray, God, that you, being the perfect Father, love them the way they need to be loved today. Be with us all, Father, so that we can respond to you in obedience as children who love their Father should. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. I invite you to stand. And this morning, if you would like to respond by something outside of your pew, our staff is down here on our left and right. They're here to greet you, to meet with you, to pray with you, to listen to you, whatever it is. They can serve you in any way. Move now. Let's respond in obedience to who God is and what He's calling us to be.
announcements for you and you can dismiss. Uh, number one, we're wrapping up our Ask the Staff series this week, uh, so I encourage you to keep reminding that. And in the month of July, we're not going to have any Sunday night videos or anything going on, uh, but just letting you know we're wrapping up our Ask the Staff series this week. Um, next Sunday, um, we're going to be giving you some updates uh, in terms of where we believe we're headed in, in the month of July, and literally we're just taking this a little bit at a time. Um, we're all still trying to figure this thing out as we go, so uh, I ask that you continue to be in prayer for our church, that we're obedient to what God is leading us. I mean, who knows what's going to come out next week, but uh, we're going to talk about, uh, next, next Sunday, we're going to talk about kind of where we're headed for the month of July and what that looks like in terms of our ability to, to be together and worship together. And this morning, uh, I want to thank um, a good friend of mine, Jackson Breedlove. He's sitting right over here. Uh, Jackson is one of our graduates. You saw him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jackson and I worked together on writing the sermon today, and I appreciate uh, his gift of, uh, of getting to pour into God's Word that we get to work on it together. So, um, fine young man over here. God's leading his life and doing great things. So, encouraged to pray for our students and our young people. And if you're looking for a Paul, that young man right over there could be a Paul for you. If you're looking for a Timothy, that young man over there wouldn't turn away anybody investing in him. So, uh, you are without excuse for not having one or the other. I love you. Thank you for being here, and happy Father's Day to you. Enjoy your day. <laughs>